This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Rules are made to be broken. Well, that's not true in every area of life, but it's true in fly fishing. There was a recent post on the Vale Valley Anglers website. They have a shop in Edwards, Colorado, and they mentioned three fly fishing rules you ought to consider breaking in order to catch more fish. Now, I want to make it very clear, these are not the rules put into place by your Fish, Wildlife, and Parks or Department of Natural Resources of the state where you are fishing. We're not talking about breaking uh, game laws, laws of the land. We're talking about conventional rules. What other fly fishers over the years say you have to do in order to be successful? Dave, I ought to ask you, so are, are you a rule breaker type? <laughs> <laughs> I've always gotten in trouble because of that, right? I've always yeah, pushed the edge. I know, uh, and I'm the oldest child. Who, so you've never broken the rules. <laughs> well, I have, but, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, my parents still talk about when I was in grade school. Uh, the grade school was right across the street from our house, and yeah, of course, I don't remember this. Maybe they're just making it up. But uh, they, they said that when I was in first grade, I, I was outstanding by the, by the building. And they happened to see that during recess. And, and so they asked me later that day, well, what are you doing out there? I said, well, teacher told us to go out and get some fresh air. So, <laughs> I, so that, that's, yeah, I, I kind of tend to be this rule follower just because I'm a, an oldest child. But yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the rule breaker. I have been the rule breaker, and it's not necessarily a great life. You know who, I re, who this reminds me of is your, your uncle, Uncle Ivan. Oh, we yes. talk about oh, rules made to be broken. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he just he, told me he turned 89, Yeah. and on his 89th birthday, he went out and caught 50, 50 fish. <laughs> and, and knowing him, he, he's not a catch-and-release fly fisher, so I don't know... You know, I'm, I'm hoping these were out of somebody's pond that, uh, you know, or, private Or maybe pond. it was really 10 and it was an, ex, you know, it wasn't really 50. That's right. Or a limit for his <laughs> wife and a limit for, yeah, yeah who knows, exactly. who knows. All right. So today, Dave and I are going to talk about some rules that uh, fly fishers ought to consider breaking. Now, the first three are from uh, this post on the Vale Valley Anglers website. Uh, three fly fishing rules that you ought to consider breaking if you're going to catch more fish. And then we've added uh, some others that, that we've uh, uh, learned over the years are, are worth breaking as well. Just some of the conventional wisdom. So uh, uh, get us started, Dave. The first is you need a drag-free drift. Yeah, that's right, or you're never going to catch You're never going to co- catch fish. So if that nymph is not floating along the bottom or that fly is not floating on top of the surface as natural as possible, you're toast, right? Yep, if it's creating the wake of a water skier, uh, no, it's just not going to work. But, and here's what the guy Brody Henderson from this Vale Valley Angler said. He said, quote, he was a guide. He's a guide who wrote the article. He said, quote, in over 15 years of guiding and over 30 years of fishing on my own, I've witnessed thousands of trout eat flies that were dragging, sunk, or otherwise doing something undesirable. (laughs) I've learned not to stress about drag-free drifts. Some of the most consistent strikes you'll have while nymph fishing come at the very end of your drift 
or when you unintentionally move the fly while mending and your flies begin to quickly rise or swing. In other words, the flies are moving unnaturally, according to some experts. Too many anglers give up on their drift before this movement occurs and they miss out on a ton of opportunities. Feeding trout will move to eat a fly, so purposefully swinging your fly rig during an insect emergence can result in more strikes from aggressive fish. Yeah, Unquote. I have found that to be true. That is Absolutely. just pure wisdom. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so often we're worried, oh, this isn't the perfect uh, drift, and so we... Yeah, we, we try to make some adjustments. While we're making the adjustment, or trying to pull our fly out of the water that we get the strike. Well, and we, we use this quote from Dwayne Dunham, your friend in Oregon, from uh, on a previous podcast. But he talked about when he was fishing the Metolius River with caddis, caddis nymphs. He had no luck, and he decided to strip back the line because he was just kind of ticked off at himself yeah. in disgust. Yeah. So he starts ripping the, the fly line out of the water to bring it back and, and put on a new fly, and he caught a fish. Yeah. You know, he's stripping the nymph back to himself. He's not, it's not a streamer, it's a nymph. Yeah. And then he did it again. He said he did it all through the day and caught fish. He said it was that's the only time it's ever worked. Isn't it? Oh, man. Oh, that's hilarious. So I think it's just a great thing. Yeah. Yes, you, yes, the goal is to create this dead drift, right? Right. But mm -hmm. once you learn that, you realize, you mm -hmm. know what? It's probably not that dead drift. It's not floating that naturally anyway. Yep. Mm -hmm. And when you do catch fish, it's kind of a miracle. <laughs> and sometimes when you try to mend when your fly is in the zone, you create more of a wake than the, the little bit of drag that you're getting on your dry fly. So, yeah, that's really true. Or, or even your nymph. So, yeah, don't, don't overdo it. And, yeah, don't assume that your uh, cast is a lost cause, even if it's not drifting the way you want. That's, that's really good advice. Here's another one. Uh, here's a, another one of these rules that people swear by. Nymph when nothing is hatching. You know, nothing on the water. Well, don't throw a dry fly. You know, use a nymph. And this is what Brody Henderson writes. He says, it's easy to reason that because trout aren't actively eating on the surface that fishing dry flies will be futile. Trout, however, especially during the summer and early fall, are programmed to look up for food. When no hatch is present without millions of natural insects to mimic, anglers can fish searching and attractor patterns with great success. I think a lot of anglers have forgotten how much fun and productive it can be simply to prospect the water with a royal wolf because they've been taught to rely on pounding on a deep run with a couple of weighted bead heads. Man, that's just oh, pure I, gold right I there. totally agree with that. I really do. I mean, you and I, Dave, have had days, huge days, on both the Yellowstone and on... 16 mile creek and we didn't see a single fish rising absolutely yet we ended up catching 20 30 40 trout and and that's because well they were feeding maybe looking for grasshoppers or they but, but even then they're, they're just they weren't in. surfacing yeah they're just, how many times on the on 16 mile were those fish hitting the surface oh i know only they, when you were throwing yeah, out the big yeah. attractor pattern mm-hmm 
So what are some of our favorite attractor patterns, Dave? Well, the, he mentions the Royal Wolf. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Parachute Adams, yeah. the Elkhair Caddis. Yeah, those are I've great. I've come to like the H&L variant in recent yeah, years, which is really a good. rough water fly. Yep. It looks a little bit like a Royal Wolf. Mm -hmm. uh, the Red or Yellow Humpy, even the yep. Spruce Moth. Yep. Um, and other terrestrials, you know, such as flying ants and definitely hoppers yes. and stimulators. Right. And by the way, uh, listeners, you don't have to send us an email reminding us. We, we know that an elk care caddis is not an attractor pattern. It's designed to imitate a caddis fly, but I use it like an attractor pattern. Same thing with a spruce moth. I mean, those, yeah, those that's work. That's a legitimate yeah. hatch, right? But you get some flies like that, that that imitate specific insects, but they really work and function as attractors as well. So, yeah, I mean, in 16 Mile, we were doing that, weren't we, Dave? Oh my gosh. We weren't just fishing hoppers. You know, last summer I was with your brother, Dave, fishing Rocky Mountain National Park, and we fished the Fall River, and he had a stimulator on that just I, I got frustrated because I couldn't catch anything on the surface, so I went to nymphs, and I, I caught fish, but he caught two to every one of mine. And he just persistently started going through his fly box to find a different attractor pattern. <laughs> yeah, he's a dry fly fisher yeah, only. Don't, only, don't yeah. Don't waste time with me. And consequently, his persistence paid off, and he caught two to every one, as I mentioned. And, wow. And, and I just love the way he kept working the edges and corners of that stream. Mm -hmm. He just would not give yep. up. So yeah, summer, early fall. Uh, don't think you have to switch to nymphs if you don't see anything rising. Yeah, try an attractor pattern and get ready. You might just have some fun. The third rule that comes from this Vale Valley Anglers uh, article by Brody, Ander uh, Brody Henderson is this idea that quote a light tippet results in more strikes so in general you say that sometimes you need to go to lighter tackle because in streams that get fished heavily they they see everything and so they've seen every kind of fly they've wise or more smart i guess yeah. would be the mm -hmm. idea but here's brody henderson again this is what he says quote i've heard it over and over from noted angling authorities on proving grounds like the frying pan in colorado the henry's fork in idaho and Depew's spring creek in montana that quote these fish have seen it all. You've got to go down to at least a 6X, but 7X is even better. That's referring to tippet. He continues, I played by those rules for a long time, and it made sense to fish fine, light tippet with tiny flies to overly pressured, educated trout. I once bought a spool of barely visible 8X tippet <laughs> that I never <laughs> used because my outlook on the necessity of very light tippet changed. And then th this is what he says that he continues as his great insight. He says, I came to the conclusion that one of the best steps you can take in fly fishing for trout, especially large trout, is to use the heaviest tippet you can possibly get away with. During a crowded, low water, late winter day on the world famous Frying Pan River, I almost panicked when I found myself with nothing but 3X and 4X in my pack. The pans, angler savvy, finicky trout recognize fly patterns by name <laughs> and would never eat a fake bug tied on with anything bigger than 6X. Guess what? I hammered fish all day long on nymphs and dry flies with tippet I could barely fit through the eye of the hook. Then I read a very in-depth article that explained that trout feeding was based purely on instinctual positive triggers. Simply put, if it looks good, they eat it, and a one one-thousandth of an inch difference in tippet diameter between 5X and 4X will not matter. Based on my fly fishing experience, it was true." <laughs> Unquote. Wow. 
That's, uh, that's Just, great. I love this stuff. This is so oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he was on in that article to say that he stopped carrying 6X a long time ago and, and uses 5X rarely and only for the smallest of, of flies. And, you know, there, there are some benefits to that, aren't they? I mean, you're going to lose less flies and you can play your fish more aggressively without breaking them off which is a good thing because that leads to landing and releasing fish you know faster which yep. is obviously good for the mm -hmm. fish i remember when we fished last fall on the guard and it wasn't the gardener it was the madison and yeah. i caught that heavy rainbow it was on 4x tippet it yeah. was and it, i was i was using uh a size 18 olive serendipity so it was a pretty tiny fly it wasn't a size 20 mm -hmm. but i remember how difficult it was even to get that thing oh, yeah. tie on that tippet right mm -hmm. but if i had not had that 4x tippet there's no oh, yeah. way i would have no ever landed that trout that. yeah nope, that's so true well here's another one and this is one of our own this is one of those rules that that we've heard uh the rule goes like this nothing works on a bright sunny day cloudy days are best well, sounds good, but honestly, we've had terrific days on the, the Gardner River on sunny days. Uh, then the next fall, of course, our, our luck changed. But I, I remember some days in the summer where, you know, we're on the Yellowstone and there is not a cloud in the sky. But wait, those, those fish are looking up. Yeah, they're, they're looking up for dries and put a hopper pattern out there and boom. And, and I remember, do you remember this, Dave, where... We had an afternoon where it clouded up on the Yellowstone and the hopper fishing just stopped. Totally stopped. Yeah. Well, I remember many days on, remember Warm Springs Creek near mm -hmm. Lewistown, Montana? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Now that was just a killer creek. It was a small creek. You yep. caught small brook trout, small rainbows. But my, my, what's the image in my head are all these afternoons fishing dries and f catching 20 or 30 trout on that and they're bright it was a bright sunny oh, day yep and and i remember days on elk creek right we caught tons of fish yeah. on bright mm -hmm. sunny days yep. so i think the principle's good but that's another rule to be broken if it's bright and sunny you think meh it's not going to be a great day no it's like you got to attack the day as if it were the what you think is a perfect day out there well, yeah last fall when we were on the madison we caught some of those big trout that were coming up from hebgen i i remember when we went into breakfast i thought oh great we have a bright sunny day and this isn't going to be that great didn't matter a lick no you know? it didn't matter and, i mean it's true War, uh, cloudy cool days I've, I've had some phenomenal dry fly fishing on those uh, days and we're not saying that they're not good it's just yeah don't don't panic if uh, you you get bright it's almost sun. like there's a principle and then you have to realize and yeah. it needs to be broken right doesn't always apply yeah, yeah, yeah. so what's another one our Dave? final is don't fish in crowded waters and that's a rule that you and i are like big on this yeah one, right mm -hmm. i mean we preach yep. this episode in you know weekend week out on our right episodes. go where they're not go uh -huh. where they're not but 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 that day that I caught, we caught those big rainbows on the Madison. Do you remember? There were people above us and there were people below us. Mm -hmm. It was like a big steelhead run. Yeah. And we had this stretch of the river to fish, but yet we caught really big fish. Oh, yeah. Well, and I know so it. It, it. And I, I remember feeling a little uncomfortable thinking, ah, there's too many fly fishers on this stretch of river, but we caught fish. My son Luke was fishing. Uh... Uh, he caught some big rainbows this spring in Colorado. Dave, you, you probably know better than I do where he was. Was it, uh, I want to say Apache? 
Well, wasn't uh, it? Um, well, it was one was Cheeseman Canyon. Yeah, one was Cheeseman Canyon, but and, there was and, another place he was yeah, fishing. I don't remember and where. Fishing more the the rainbows were were running and and I mean it was lined with fly fishers. In fact, he said he had to wait kind of for an opening, and then he get into this one run and he caught a couple of gorgeous uh, rainbows in it. So it, it can be done, you know. It's I, I've been out on the Owyhee River in in eastern Oregon at times where, uh, man, it's like how can all the fly fishers actually fit in that one run? And, and yet, you know, you walk 50 yards uh, upriver, and, and there was a run where I caught a couple nice ones. So it's, yeah, as much as we always say, and, and we do practice, uh, walk further than the next guy, uh, just because a, a river is crowded doesn't mean you're not going to catch fish. And I think some of that, and I'd be curious if you agree, Dave, is I think we all fish a run a little bit differently you know exactly where we drift a fly you know just how we do it it's going to look different to the the fish so uh, i suspect that there are guys who will come behind me and and they may clean up some fish i didn't get because they're doing it differently and i think i've done the same thing behind other fly fishers as well i think and that's one is just different technique uh, or just longer cast shorter cast they're hitting the run differently but one is also skill and there's just a lot of fly fishers who are out there that that really don't understand fly fishing so if it's crowded i think sometimes it's just a good good chance for you to you know show your chops yes that's, yep, that's, that's absolutely right all right it's time for great stuff from our listeners this is a fantastic comment from michael he writes hello guys i enjoyed your recent podcast on fly fishing safely I fish alone more often than not on some of California's more remote locations and have experienced quite a few nerve-wracking encounters involving wildlife, that is bears, mountain lions, rattlesnakes. However, regardless of how far-fetched it may seem, my scariest confrontation involved a river otter. I had exited the water and was hiking back to camp when suddenly I became mesmerized watching an otter about 20 yards off, swimming effortlessly against the strong, swift current of the Pitt River. I quickly moved behind some brush about five yards from the riverbank and froze, hoping to go unnoticed in order to prolong the moment. Bad move. As it approached, the otter left the river at a run and headed directly towards me with no indication of slowing down. I went from this serene, zen-like moment of thinking how wonderful it was to view wildlife in a natural setting to, yikes, this thing's coming after me. <laughs> the otter literally charged within two feet of me before my yelling and arm waving eventually got it to stop, turn and return to the water. <laughs> You're correct that most bear... Okay, so now we're shifting gears a bit. Wow, I have to catch our breath on That's that. That's just amazing. Isn't that crazy? That is a great, oh great, great story. Oh. Well, then he says this, and I think this is really good. He says, you're correct in that most bear attacks on humans are the result of surprise encounters. For that reason, I have a bear bell permanently attached to my fly fishing pack. Whenever I hike to fly fisheries located deep off the beaten path, I set it to ring, otherwise it remains in a muted state. Now, when aiming bear spray, I follow the standard practices that utility meter readers and postal workers use to combat dogs. If confronted by aggressive dogs, they're taught that they don't have to shoot the pepper spray they carry directly into a dog's face for it to be effective and act as a deterrent. 
Instead, they're trained to shoot the spray downward on the ground in front of the dog's front feet. The theory being that the dog will smell it and go away. Makes sense if you've ever observed a bear or dog walking along their noses, typically out in front sniffing the ground. Oh, that's great. That really is good. That is one of the best comments we've had in a long, yeah, long time. Yeah, really that is. That is terrific. And we've, uh, we've talked to uh, you know people who use bear spray a lot, and they've said, uh, yeah, you, you really want to point that down at the ground. You don't want a cloud that... Uh, you know, is, is up off the ground and and uh, a bear, I mean, they're smart animals. They can nose to the ground and get under that. So uh, yeah, shoot that at the ground and, and there'll be enough uh, high in the air, uh, you know, at, at the bear's level that, that you'll, be, you'll be fine. All right, that's gonna do it for today. What are some of the rules that you think need to be broken when uh, we're talking about the conventional wisdom of fly fishing? Please share those with us by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. What fly fishing rules are meant to be broken? And thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter or fly fishing club, your friends. That's how we grow. We have continued to grow the podcast, and that is simply the best way is, is by referral and word of mouth. And we are grateful for your trust. We'd love to hear your ideas for podcast episodes. Reach out to us on Instant Messenger or Instagram or just simply email us at stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. One more thing, if you haven't yet purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, please do so. You can find that on Amazon. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two rule-breaking guys in a river. <laughs> for the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.